Today's reading is from Matthew's Gospel, um, chapter 1, verses 18 through 25. This is how the birth of Jesus the Messiah came about. His mother Mary was pledged to be married to Joseph, but before they came together, she was found to be pregnant through the Holy Spirit. Because Joseph, her husband, was faithful to the law and yet did not want to expose her to public disgrace, he had in mind to divorce her quietly. But after he had considered this, an angel of the Lord appeared to him in a dream and said, Joseph, son of David, do not be afraid to take Mary home as your wife, because what is conceived in her is from the Holy Spirit. She will give birth to a son, and you are to give him the name Jesus, because he will save his people from their sins. All this took place to fulfill what the Lord had said through the prophet. The virgin will conceive and give birth to a son, and they will call him Emmanuel, which means God with us. When Joseph woke up, he did what the angel of the Lord had commanded him and took Mary home as his wife. But he did not consummate their marriage until she gave birth to a son, and she gave him the name Jesus. This is the word of the Lord. Praise the Lord, Christ City Church. Praise the Lord, Christ City Church. No, no. Praise the Lord, Christ City Church. Praise the Lord. Praise the Lord. Let us not be afraid to say praise the Lord in the house of the Lord. Okay, I'm just going to move some papers around. So my name is Marissa Stubbs. I'm one of the elders here at Christ City Church. That's all the introduction that I have to give. Um, <laughs> Uh, we're doing dad shout outs evidently this morning um so my dad is here uh with us this morning and i'm so excited and <laughs> um and i also want to say before we get started um how deeply thankful i, I just want to i'm i came here for the choir this morning um i know i'm supposed to preach but i came here for the choir <laughs> this morning um and i just want to express like just my deepest gratitude to Andrea and um, to this choir for all the hours of work that they've put in and for the team, um, for the worship team um, and the band this morning. And that song, um, Hallelujah, Salvation and Glory, that is a song that I've been singing since I was 10. Since I was 10. And when I joined Mostly White Churches, it was a song that I didn't hear anymore. I just stopped hearing it. Until I went to predominantly black churches again, and then I would hear it again. And so for this song to be here this morning means so much to me. Thank you so, so much. Okay, so for this year's Advent season, um, we've taken up the theme, Making Room. And last week, Watson preached on um, making room for hope. And this week, we're going to turn our attention to making room for love. Um, so I know that in my last two sermons uh, that I've done here, you know, it, there are all these extra things, you know, lots of slides. There's still going to be lots of slides. There's no music. Someone asked me, they were like, Marissa, are you going to play music? No, there's no music. Um, <laughs> um, there's nothing pretty much this morning except for scripture. And that's going to be fine. <laughs> um, Except for this first slide. Um, so when Justin assigned me to preach this Sunday, this is the email that I got from him. Like, literally, this is it. <laughs> Thank you. Um, right? And so all the vowels in love, like, you're preaching on love. <laughs> and my first thoughts, I'm having, like, all these papers and tissues and everything. <laughs> my gosh. Um, 
And so my, these are my first, and I'm going to tell you, like, literally, like, these are my first thoughts. I think I sent him back, my email back, like, started with sigh. Like, sigh, like, really, I'm preaching on love. And because this is the first, these are the first thoughts that I've been having, right? Preaching on love as a single woman with no kids, when most of the love stories that we tell in church, and particularly from the pulpit, involve marriage and they involve kids. And so if you aren't married and you don't have kids, you have to do some extra work to not feel marginalized. You have to do some extra translation because the stories of deep commitment and deep covenant and deep sacrifice and deep intimacy and deep knowing of one another seem to be reserved for married kids and the pinnacle of pinnacles, married kids, married, married folks with kids. But deep commitment and deep covenant and deep sacrifice and deep intimacy and deep knowing and deep love is for all of us. And the church needs to do a better job of communicating that by breaking the marriage idol and breaking the marriage with kids idol so that all God's people feel like they have hope for all of God's promises rather than feeling like some of us are in God's waiting room waiting for the marriage doctor, waiting for the kids doctor to come out and diagnose us and prescribe what we need to live our best lives yet. And so ironically, this morning, I'm going to preach on a sermon about a marriage and a kid. <laughs> and, but my hope, my hope, my hope is that we get to feel like we're all in this story. And this is a tender story. I, I read it when I was starting to repair. I read it out loud. By the time I get to that, I kept reading it out loud, reading it out loud. By the time I get to the third time, like I was crying. Joseph and Mary are two precious ones. What they're asked to do, and the many, many ways that it could have and almost went sideways, and the work that they had to do in order to say yes, to cooperate with God, to make room for his love in the world. I'm so grateful to them. So this is how the birth of Jesus the Messiah, or the anointed one or the deliverer came about. His mother Mary was pledged to, to be married to Joseph, but before they came together, she was found to be pregnant through the Holy Spirit. Through the Holy Spirit. Let's stop here. Oh my gosh, I need to stop crying. <laughs> Because I can't see. i got to put my glasses back on. I can't see. <laughs> so let's focus on Mary. Mary is pledged to be married to Joseph, right? And if you like the weighty words from the King James Version, she was betrothed, okay? She's betrothed to be married. Pledged means that Mary and Joseph have, have actually already gone through a legal process. There's a marriage contract. Probably some money and some goods have been exchanged between the families and between maybe Mary and Joseph themselves. It means that there's been a betrothal ceremony where they've already made vows. They've already public, publicly pledged themselves to one another. And after the ceremony, Mary and Joseph are, are actually already considered married, but for the period of one year, they're not allowed to have sex. So they live separately, right? So they're married, they're living separately, she with her family, and Joseph preparing what the home will be. 
until the end of this one year period, until the end of the betrothal, okay? So this is a little bit bigger than the engagement ring, you know, a couple of glasses of champagne, picture of your selfie, you post it on Instagram. When we don't want it anymore, you know, we, we take, we, you know, we just take off the ring and then we go, right, it's, it's, a bit, it's a bit more involved in that, okay? If they want to end this situation, if they want to end their betrothal, it's not just taking off a ring, okay? There's a whole nother legal proceeding. It's actually its own kind of divorce in order to annul the marriage contract. So bringing that, all of that into this verse again, Mary is pledged to be married to Joseph. But before this one year period is up, Luke 1 happens. In the sixth month of Elizabeth's pregnancy, God sent the angel Gabriel to Nazareth, a town in Galilee, to a virgin pledged to be married to a man named Joseph, a descendant of David. The virgin's name was Mary. The angel went to her and said, greetings, you who highly favored, the Lord is with you. And Mary was greatly troubled at his words and wondered what kind of greeting this might be. But the angel said to her, do not be afraid, Mary, you have found favor with God. You will conceive and give birth to a son and you are to call him Jesus. He will be great and will be called the son of the most high. The Lord God will give him the throne of his father David and he will reign over Jacob's descendants forever and his kingdom will never end. How can this be? Mary asked the angel, since I'm a virgin. And the angel answered, the Holy Spirit will come on you. And the power of the most high will overshadow you. So the Holy One to be born will be called the son of God. And even Elizabeth, your relative, is going to have a child in her old age, and she who was said to be unable to conceive is in her sixth month. For no word from God will ever fail. I am the Lord's servant. Mary answered, may your word to me be fulfilled. And the angel left her. And let me just say that, like, I want, I want, to, be, I want to be like Mary. <laughs> I want to respond to God and say, I'm the Lord's servant. May your word to me be fulfilled. And it comes before this where Elizabeth said this to Mary, blessed is she who's believed that the Lord would fulfill his promises to her. I want that to be true of me. So let's come back, right? So this is the backstory to how the verse in Matthew continues where it says Mary is found to be pregnant by the Holy Spirit. And then verse 19 picks up, because Joseph, her husband, was faithful to the law, and some translations start out because Joseph was a, was a righteous man and yet did not want her to expose her to public disgrace. He did not want to make a public example out of her. He had in mind to divorce her quietly, or as some translations will say, to send her away secretly. The scriptures say that Joseph was faithful to the law. And this law would be found primarily in Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, and Deuteronomy, the five books, or the Pentateuch. And right now, this situation with Mary would bring up for Joseph Deuteronomy 22. And the faithfulness to the law that is found there meant that a very real option, if, circumstance, if certain circumstances could be proved, was that Mary could have, Joseph could have Mary stoned to death. In Deuteronomy 22, we're not going to put it up because it's, it's just distracting. In Deuteronomy 22, there's a long list 
of examples of what happens when a man and a woman have sex under less than ideal circumstances, right? And then there's a whole list of questions, that questions that must be asked and scenarios that have to be posed to figure out what should happen. Are they married? Are they not married? Is one of them married? Is she a virgin? Is, she, is someone pledged to be married? Sadly, this is a question, was it forced? Did it happen in town? Did it happen in the countryside? All of these scenarios get spelled out in Deuteronomy 22, and there are only actually two options in the end, death or marriage. Death or marriage, those are the only two options that are spelled out. So at this point in our story, Joseph doesn't know any of the details, but all he knows is that he and Mary are pledged in marriage. Mary is pregnant, not by him, and he knows the law. What might Joseph be feeling? What might he be feeling? Afraid for Mary? Because she might die. Afraid for himself? If people think that he got her pregnant before the time was right? Shocked? Humiliated? Ashamed? Angry that this has happened? Heartbroken? Depressed, disillusioned, grieving the loss of a relationship. More things that I probably don't even have time to list. Joseph is in a bind. And I think he's struggling with this situation and he's struggling to understand what the word is asking him to do because it says that he was faithful to the law. And right now the law is only giving him two options that he doesn't really like. He can't see himself marrying a woman who appears to have been unfaithful to him, but he also can't see himself taking part in what might be her slow, humiliating, public, and painful death. So what's the option? Annul this thing quietly? Send Mary away secretly so that no one can kill her? Literally, the word that's translated here quietly and secretly also means done in a way to escape notice. Right? That's what he's contemplating. That's what he's contemplating. Basically, Joseph is faithful to the law, but he's trying to skirt around the law, even though he would be completely justified in choosing the law. And right, that's mercy and compassion and tenderheartedness bubbling up. We don't want the people that we love to get hurt. We don't want the people that we care about to get hurt. We don't want people in general to hurt and die. We don't want them to see, to see them get humiliated and that's good. And it's also perfectly understandable that Joseph wants a divorce and it's commendable that he's carrying it out in a way that would allow Mary to escape notice and fly under the radar. A divorce will allow Joseph to avoid further humiliation. He, it, it allows him to protect himself against future hurt. It'll keep him safe. And in this case, a quiet divorce will preserve his name and reputation and good standing in the, in the eyes of others. And that's not bad, per se. Sometimes the plans of God, sometimes the plans of God mean that we can't save ourselves in the ways that we normally would. And we might have to risk situations that feel humiliating, 
and feel shameful and hurtful and uncomfortable. Situations where we risk our name and reputation and our good standing in the eyes of others. We just have to trust God. So in order to break through Joseph's thoughts and feelings and ponderings and potential plans and struggles to get Joseph's attention, God sends an angel to Joseph in a dream. Now, before we get to what the angel says, I want to say that, like, great, Joseph being faithful to the law also probably meant that he was faithful to the prophets. And so from the Hebrew scriptures in the Old Testament, Joseph has so much material about angels and dreams and visions. And so there's this cat. I was going to bring a copy of the book, like, just to show you, right, as a prop, because, right, I'm not putting anything on the screen other than scripture. Um, but there's this cat named Russ Parker who wrote this book that I love called um, Dream Stories, A Journey into the Bible's Dreams and Visions. And he writes that there's more than 100 biblical references to dreams and visions, and that if added together, the references to dreams and visions and scriptures and the stories surrounding them and the prophecies that come out of them, that material would cover a third of the Bible. A third of the Bible. This is not, dreams and visions are not just Christmas stories. It's also, it's not a sideline feature. This is a major theme. This is a major theme of how God breaks through. And these aren't all of them, but this is just a quick list of some of the dreams and visions. Jacob's ladder dream in Genesis 28. Joseph's dream that stokes sibling rivalry in, in um, Genesis 2035. The dreams of the cupbearer and the, ba the baker when uh, Joseph was in prison in uh, Genesis 40. By the way, this is a different Joseph. I always find myself like preaching where I mention like this John and this John, this Joseph and this Joseph. Okay, so this is the Old Testament Joseph. Um, Gideon's dream, Pharaoh's recurring dream in Genesis 41. Gideon's dream in Judges 7. Solomon's dream in 1 Kings 3. Nebuchadnezzar's dream in Daniel and Dan Daniel 2 and Daniel 4. One that revealed the future and one that revealed God. Ezekiel's vision of heaven in Ezekiel 1. The Magi's dreams where they're warned not to return to Herod. Um, and Joseph's dream to take Jesus to Egypt, both in Matthew, 22, in Matthew 2. Pilate's wife's dream that revealed, that revealed um, Jesus was innocent in Matthew 27. Ananias's vision and Paul's vision in Acts 9. If there's anyone that I'm going to commend you to like go read, it's that one. I love that. I love that story um, of the, these two men having two different visions and how they bring them together. Um, Peter's vision in Acts 10 and then John's vision of Jesus in Revelation 1. Right? This is a short list. That's a short list. And here's what Job 33, 14 through 18 says about dreams and visions. God always answers one way or another. Even when people don't recognize his presence, in a dream, for instance, a vision at night, when men and women are deep asleep, fast asleep in their beds, God opens their ears and impresses them with warnings to turn back from something bad they're planning, from some reckless choice, and keep them from an early grave, from the river of no return. This is what scripture has to say about the functions of dreams and visions from God. And yes, sometimes our dreams are our meds, if we're on meds. Like, I remember being in Peace Corps and being on mefloquin. Um, it's an anti-malarial drug. They give you psychedelic dreams. It's the most horrible thing ever, right? Sometimes it's your meds. Sometimes it is because you ate too late, right? <laughs> sometimes it's because you won't deal with your stuff and your mind is telling you to pay attention, right? But sometimes, sometimes it's God. And I'm fortunate, right? I'm fortunate because um, I, I, or 
I feel fortunate, right? Because my mama dreams, my mama is a dreamer and she listens to them. Um, and I've learned to listen to my dreams from her. And I've learned about the spiritual world through my dreams. And God has taught me about scripture through my dreams. And I've learned lessons in my dreams and I've been warned and forewarned of things in my dreams. And I've turned back from foolishness because of my dreams. And once, once, and this is like such a, like a small thing, but it's still very vivid. Once God warned me in my dream that my car had been broken into. And I woke up and I was like, something happened to my car and I went out and all the windows were smashed. And my recurring dreams have been signposts pointing to the Lord's desire to heal me from anxiety, from fear of failure, from fear of rejection. And as I've brought those tender places into the light of the Lord, and I've trusted the Lord to heal them, some of those recurring dreams have ceased. And so in some cases, not dreaming has been a sign that God has been at work. And so what would it look like if we were to cultivate the expectation that God speaks to us in our dreams? And what if we ask the Lord to dream more? What if we ask to understand what God is trying to tell us? What if we ask that we would have the courage to listen and to act? God, I pray that we would, we would ask these things. I pray that we would ask to dream more, that you would speak to us in those dreams, that we would learn more of you, that we would learn more of your ways and more of how you're calling us to live and be in this world. Your heart is to speak to us. Your, your heart is to find us, and for us to find you. And so I pray that you would use our dreams Jesus' name. And now we have this dream that we're, and so now we have this dream that we're getting ready to, to get into, telling Joseph to marry Mary. So most of the time when angels show up, the angels will say, don't be afraid. And they're saying this because the person is already afraid. And when, and when Gabriel appears to Mary, he says, don't be afraid, Mary. And when the angel shows up to Zachariah, Elizabeth's husband, John the Forerunner's dad, this feels like Ferris Bueller. Um, the scripture says that the angel appeared just to the right of the altar of incense and that Zachariah was paralyzed with fear. And the angel reassured him, don't fear Zachariah, don't fear. And so the assumption is that the angel is gonna show up to, to Joseph and say, Joseph, don't be afraid, don't fear. But that's not what the, what the angel says. The angel shows up to Joseph and says, don't be afraid to take Mary home as your wife. Just skips over any of the fear that Joseph might be feeling. And it's just like, I'm not worried about you being afraid. I'm not worried about you fearing. What, what I don't want you to be afraid of is taking Mary home to be your wife. Because Joseph is afraid to stay in this marriage. And so after, because after he's considered, what might I do? I'm going to divorce her quietly. I'm going to send her away secretly. I'm going to try to do this so that she's, she's under the radar. After he's considered this, the angel appears to Joseph in a dream and says, Joseph, son of David, do not be afraid to take Mary home as your wife, because what is conceived in her is from the Holy Spirit. 
She will give birth to a son and you are to give him the name Jesus. And Jesus is the Greek form of the word um, of the name Joshua, meaning the Lord saves. You are to give him the name Jesus because he will save his people from their sins. And all this took place to fulfill what the Lord said through the prophet, the virgin will conceive and give birth to a son and they will call him Emmanuel, which means God with us. And this last piece, the virgin will conceive and give birth to a son and they will call him Emmanuel comes from Isaiah 714. It's just infinitely more exciting than Deuteronomy 22. <laughs> just infinitely more exciting than Deuteronomy. But here's what God is saying to Joseph. I know you're afraid and I see you. But your way forward isn't going to be ignoring the law or rejecting the law or skirting the law. It's actually going to be in following the law. Man who is faithful to the law. This word that you've hidden in your heart. But it's not going to be this cold, detached, clinical application of the law that doesn't see people or consider people. God is saying this is going to be you living out the law with an understanding of Mary's situation. And this is going to be living out the law in context of making room for my son, Jesus. And so now Joseph sees his Deuteronomy 22 choices. Does Mary die or do I marry her? through what it means to make way, to make space, to make room for Isaiah 7:14, to make room for the virgin will conceive and give birth to a son and they will call him Emmanuel. He now sees Deuteronomy 22 in making room for the anointed one, the Messiah, the Jesus who's coming to save his people from their sins. And now because He's looking at this through the lens of Jesus' coming. Deuteronomy 22 is now alive for him in a way that it wasn't before. And he can marry Mary. Because, right, this is, this is for us too. Because without Jesus, we only have the letter of the law, which leads to oppression. It leads to shame. It leads to death. But through Jesus, we have the spirit of the law. And seeing the law, seeing the word through Jesus, we have grace. And we have mercy. And we have compassion. We have life. And we have salvation. And this brings an imperative joy, a commanding joy, to fulfill the scriptures and to obey God's voice. In Jesus, the law is not discarded. It is not rejected. It is not, it is not ignored, skirted, or forgotten. In Jesus, the law is fulfilled because all the law and the prophets hang on Jesus. Praise God. And Joseph no longer has to focus on whether or not the kid is his or whether Mary's been unfaithful or anything else. Everything pales in the light of the knowledge that Jesus is coming. Jesus is coming to save the people from trying to live apart, a life apart from God and from trying to live according to the world's ideas and human, human ideas and, and the idea that we can live in God's ideas in our own strength. Jesus is coming to free us from all that. Jesus will save our souls from the ruinous, oppressive, twisted and corrupted consequences that result from the idea that we're little gods and that we can know everything and that we can do everything and that we can be everything and that we can have everything and we can own everything and we can control everything and be the center of everything. But Jesus also frees us. He also saves our souls from the ruinous, oppressive, twisted, and corrupting consequences 
that result from the idea that we're inconsequential. And we don't know anything. And we can't do anything. We can't be anything. We can't have anything. We can't own anything. We can't make change in the, in the, in the world that we live in. We can't be the center of something. Jesus saves us from that too. He saves us from the idea that we can have anything from apart from God, but he also saves us into the idea that in God we can have everything. Jesus will save us from our sins. This is the love of Jesus, our Messiah. And so when Jesus woke up, he did what the angel of the Lord commanded him. And he took Mary home to be his wife. It's not that the consequences that Joseph was afraid of have changed. It's not that, it's that Joseph isn't afraid anymore. And it's not that he has to get control of his story and how things will end. It's that he understands his place and role in God's narrative. And it's not that the culture and the people around him won't try to shame him. They might. It's that he'll reject the shame because he trusts in God. Joseph might suffer some consequences. He might be rejected or ridiculed or taunted or something worse. And someone could say he's not following the law and there could be punishment for that. But if any of that happens, he won't be suffering for suffering's sake. And that's a nod to 1 Peter 4. But rejoice in as much as you participate in the sufferings of Christ so that you may be overjoyed when his glory is revealed. If you are insulted because of the name of Christ, you're blessed. For the spirit of glory in God rests on you. If you suffer, it should not be as a murderer or a thief or any other kind of criminal or even as a meddler. However, if you suffer as a Christian, don't be ashamed, but praise God that you bear that name. This pregnancy is not a situation that Joseph created, yet he's willing to take on shame and willing to take on humiliation and willing to take on the disparagement of his name and reputation and maybe even death. He's willing to take on a whole lot of stuff that he doesn't deserve because now he knows that this is the part of God's plan to bring salvation in the world. This is a foreshadowing of Jesus, the very one that Joseph is making room for. God made him who, knew, who had no sin to be sin for us that we might be the righteousness of God. 2 Corinthians 5, 21. So how, like, I'm just amazed at how Joseph makes room for the love of Christ. There's this lovely little line in Psalm 103. It says, as a father cares for his children, so does the Lord care for those who love him. God has done all this. God has tipped Joseph to a plan to make room for him, to care for him, right? This is God seeing Joseph struggle. And God's love making room for Joseph by sending an angel to let him know what's going on so that Joseph could love Mary and make room for her as she showed up to God by literally making room for Jesus. This Jesus who came because he loved the people and wanted to make room for each of us in God's house. What does it mean for us to make love? Like love, yes, make love, sorry. Uh, <laughs> what does it mean for us to love the ways and works of God so that God, so that despite the suffering we might experience, we make room the way that Joseph made room for the love of God to be at work? What does that mean for us? 
What does it mean for us to make room in our lives? What does it mean for us to make room for this work in those around us? What does it mean to make room for this work in our homes? What does it mean for us to make room in our church? What does it make room? What does it mean for us to make room in our community? Making room for the love of Christ means that you're like Joseph. You're 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 in the word. You're struggling with the word and you're opening to hearing, open to hearing God in ways that maybe you haven't heard him before. Making room for the love of Christ means that you might have to abandon your plans as well intentioned and well thought out as they might be. And choose some plans that seem a little risky. Making room for the love of Christ means that fear or shame, fear of shame, fear of humiliation, fear of rejection and fear of loss, they can't run the show. That fear has to move out of the way. And making room for the love of Christ means that you might have to risk suffering if that's where God's calling you. But Jesus will come and Jesus will save. God will be with us. And blessed is the one who believes that God will fulfill his promises. So I'm going to pray for us as we move into just a time of, of worship and, and, and response. And the band will, um, band will come up. God, thank you so much for um, these stories, these stories that we, that we rehearse in our hearts um, this one time. It's one time of year, but God, will you make room in our hearts for these lessons year-round? But as we focus right now, this time, this year, this day, this moment, on what it means for us to make room for the love of Christ. God, I can't give examples that will hit everyone, everyone in their hearts, but I know that you can. Holy Spirit, you know how to interpret the words that have gone forth and plant the seeds that need to be in each and every heart because you know the contour of each heart that's here. And so I pray, Holy Spirit, that you would give us discernment. You would give us discernment on the things that need to, to move out of the way. I just have that image of like sometimes we think about making room and sometimes there are things that we can just rearrange to make room. And then there are things that just need to be chucked out in order for us to make room. And I pray that you would give us discernment in those things. Show us the things that we just need to be reoriented to and show us the things that need to end and to have no place to help us make room for the love of Christ, to help us make room for this Jesus. We love you, Lord, and we, we ask that you would create room in our hearts to help us love you more. a response um oh amen i'm supposed to say amen it's like my cue i'm supposed to say amen sorry <laughs> um <laughs> the choir is going to continue to sing and the band is going to continue to pray your response might be in your seat your response might be singing along with the choir
your, your response might be coming to press your knees into this carpet. Your response might be asking your neighbor, hey, can you pray for me? Your response might be asking one of our prayer team men, members, Kathy's over here, Jamie's over here, to pray for you about what's coming up for you. And I pray that as the Lord is, is tugging on your heart to respond, that you would have courage to respond.